the other day I was watching uh, an episode of Wheel of Time, and one of the main characters in the books and in the television series is Rand. And Rand comes from this small village, and he teams up with uh, a couple of his friends and some kind of wizard lady and some more characters and goes on this enormous adventure. And even though we learn that he has a father, he loses that father figure quite quickly. And then he, in fact, becomes a bit of an orphan. And when I was watching that episode, it suddenly dawned on me how much of a trope this is, how much in a lot of stories that I personally love, the main character is an orphan, is someone who has lost his or her parents. Think of Rey in the sequel movies, the Star Wars movies. She's alone on Jakku. She only has, at one point, this BB-8. And it's only later on in the story that she starts to meet people that become part of her newfound family. But she has no idea who her parents are. And it's, it's gradually that that helps her to define herself. The same is true for Luke Skywalker. Same thing, he is an orphan. He lives on Tatooine. His substitute parents are Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. But he has no clue at the beginning of the story who his parents really were. You have uh, Charlie, uh, uh, Charlie from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, um, who lives with his grandparents, also an orphan, if I'm not mistaken. You've got, is it Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz? Isn't she also an orphan? I'm not sure. Her parents are at least not important in the story. Um, Let's see, what else have we got? We've got uh, Frodo. Frodo, we we never hear about his parents, actually. I'm not sure if they are are, uh, somewhere part of the history of Middle-earth. Um, but at least when we first meet Frodo, he's alone. He lives uh, with his uncle, Bilbo, or at least in the same village. I'm not sure. But again, presented as somewhat of an orphan. Um, and, and so I can go on and on and on in all these stories. Um, Harry Potter, of course, a very famous, more recent example of an orphan who becomes the main character of a story. And his substitute family is like the opposite of what you would wish for a child to have. Uh, his, his, his true parents are dead and he has some very vague memories of them that are all very positive. Um, but at the beginning of the story, he's all alone. And it's almost like uh, a, a bit of the story of Moses, who is... Uh, put in this basket and adopted by the pharaoh's daughter and grows up there in Egypt and only gradually through the throughout the story discovers who he truly is what his heritage is but also how he defines himself and i was wondering you know why do so many good stories have that in common and i think it is because this allows me as a reader to step into the shoes or sandals (laughs) or to don myself with the wizard robe of someone who yet has to figure out who he or she is, which then gives me 
um, a way to experience this this whole journey of growth myself through the eyes of someone else. And I can ask myself, but, but who am I? And how do I define myself? All this, as you can imagine, has gone through my head quite a bit in this past week where we buried my father. And uh, as, I, as I told you um, last week, um, I don't have or didn't have the best relationship with my parents for quite a while uh, for various reasons. Uh, if you missed that previous episode, um, by all means, check it out. Um, but when you, when you bury your father, you become a bit of an orphan, at least half of an orphan. And uh, of course, ultimately, there will be also a moment where where I lose my, mo- my mother and to a certain extent with the distance that I have taken towards my parents there already is a little bit of that like okay I have to make my own choices regardless of um, what my parents would like me to do um, and regardless of them accepting me or not and so uh, this this state of um, realizing, well, there, there's no way back for the majority of my life, my choices, and the way I defined myself, even the way in which I spoke to myself, was heavily influenced by my upbringing and by the way that my parents have uh, determined our uh, our choices and have transmitted their values, their way of thinking, their judgment on the world, on, on po- politics, on uh, church matters, on other people, have uh, had a, a, a quite a bit of an influence on the way that I was looking at the world. But as you grow older, you start this, this journey where more and more you realize, well, it's not just I am not just the result of the story that my parents want to tell with their offspring, <laughs> which is maybe a tendency that we all kind of have, um, where when your your first child is born, you have these ideals and these dreams, and maybe at times you may have had this ideal picture, like I wish for my child to be, I don't know, I hope happy, but some parents go way beyond that and it's like I I want my child to become this famous sportsman or I want him or her to be this type of person. And of course that is all comes from a good heart. But it can also uh it risks also to um in a certain way paralyze the child if uh, their son or daughter doesn't feel that they, uh, they are loved unconditionally and that no matter which choices they make or how they define themselves or how they tell the story of their lives, that the parents are, of course, there as guides, but never as captains of their ship. Um, each person has his or her own um, dignity and for me 
with dignity comes the autonomy, uh, the, the ultimate freedom that you have to take either a left turn or a right turn to do this or to do that. And knowing that all these little turns that we take in life, all these moments of decision that you see in every story, you know, think of Bilbo after he got the visit by the dwarves and has to decide, am I going to tag along with this this group of strangers? Am I going to let them hire me as uh, the burglar who is going to steal the, drag, the, the dragon's treasure back? Or am I just going to stay where I am here in the Shire where I'm happy, where everything is extremely well organized? I'm starting to think that maybe Bilbo might have been a little bit on the spectrum because he loves everything to be in order. <laughs> and so all of this upheaval doesn't make him feel comfortable. And so he's, he's but th- that is just one moment in his life that will be followed for years by all sorts of other decisions that he's going to take. Some might be the right decision. Sometimes it's a decision out of fear, out of cowardice, out of uh, indecision. Maybe not making decisions is also a decision. And it's ultimately only at the end of the story that with Bilbo, when he's riding there in his little underground riding room, when he's writing the, this red book with all his adventures, that it all starts to fit together and it becomes his story. And also, in a way that Tolkien writes this character of Bilbo, the story of Bilbo and his adventures is inserted into the much bigger and broader story of Middle-earth in general. And other people will continue that story later on. Ultimately, it's, of course, Frodo who continues to write. And then he hands it over to Sam when Frodo is, is done in, in Middle-earth and leaves and, and goes to the Grey Havens for his final departure. And then Sam will continue to write and to tell these stories to his children. And so I, I love that metaphor of each and every character in these stories, whether it is Bilbo or Frodo or Harry Potter or, or um, Charlie, <laughs> they all write the story in their unique way and nobody can replace them in that story. And that, that made me think, well, you know, there are, there, there are definitely advantages into letting other people write my story. And my parents have played a tremendous role, even probably subconsciously, in, in the way that I wrote my own story. The fact that I'm a priest, that I stayed a member of the Catholic Church, that I, um, that I pursue certain goals in my life, all that would have been so different had it not been for the influence of my parents, if they had not taken me to church and talked with me about uh, about faith and about life. And I would have probably turned into a different person. I'm not saying a, a worse person or a better person, but definitely the choices in my life would have been different. Um, but I also think that in some respects, the choices that they made for me um, have hampered me and have held me back when it came to embracing my own responsibilities. I'll give you one example. 
the way in which my mother uh, often dealt with struggles and setbacks was to choose a position of the victim. Like, oh, isn't it terrible that this happens to us? And uh, there was even a tendency in both my parents to catastrophize, to always think, oh, this is the beginning of the end. And they would worry so much about, uh, about the world, about other people, about us that I, at least as one of their children, copied that behavior. And I also, for a long time, was, was quickly... Hey, hi, hi. <laughs> That's the previous inhabitant of my house, the, one of the sacristans, or former sacristans, because he's now retired and uh, wanted to take it easy. <clears throat> so he's on his bike going for a ride. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I love about living here. Hello. And everybody greets each other. And it's a, it's a gorgeous day and I'm heading for the woods. This is actually the slope uphill that leads to the point of departure where I always have my, my where I meet my fellow runners. Uh, so this morning, early this morning. I actually didn't meet them because I was so late. I had a, a bad night with lots of dreams. And, uh, and so I, I just couldn't get started and I left home too late. Fortunately, I knew where they were going to do the most of the training. So I arrived here with my bike, but everybody had already gone. And you know what? That, that is, that's another existential fear that I didn't have to. And now I'm allowing this to feel this like nobody is there. And I'm thinking they all left me. And I, I kind of automatically, subconsciously kind of step into that role of being abandoned, being the victim, and nobody loves me, and everybody says, no, you were just late. Just, dude, embrace it, run, you know where they are, and then join the group. And, but it's, it's so funny how a lot of these very basic reactions stem from years and years of upbringing in a certain way. And uh, I th- so th- that, that whole idea of like I'm the victim of what happens to me uh, robs you from your agency and it, it, that has really been quite uh, quite a struggle in my life and maybe that is why I loved stories like that of Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter so much because they s- departed in a, in a position that was much worse than mine they <laughs> Luke is stuck on the most boring planet in the universe. And I could empathize with that because in my youth, I lived in a part of the Netherlands where, at least in my experience, it was super boring. And, um, and I dreamt of, of adventures in space and becoming an astronaut and nobody seemed to care. And uh, that was so upsetting. And then seeing Luke Skywalker... Uh, being being drawn into this incredible adventure. And then I remember seeing him appear in Jabba's palace for the first time. He's like hooded and he he pulls back his, his robe, uh, the hood of his robe. And then you see all of a sudden he looks almost like a priest. And he's super confident. Such a different Luke Skywalker from the one that we saw at the end of Empire Strikes Back where until that moment, most of the stuff happened to him. And he tried to keep up with all the, 
all the events. But in, in Return of the Jedi, for the first time, Luke is the one who is in charge. He is the one who writes his own story. And, uh, and, and I think that's why that story continues to inspire me so much. Because he never... Well, for a certain time of the story, he was kind of the, in a victim position where everything happened to him. And it's over time that he, he learns, thanks to uh, inspiring people in his life, like, like Ben Kenobi or, or Yoda, but also the example, I think, of Leia and Han, who are very independent, very strong. They're much more mature than Luke is in the first two movies. And he gradually learns that he is the one who controls his destiny. And when Vader tries to convince Luke that it is his destiny to join his father and rule the galaxy and give up on the light side of the Force and embrace the dark side, that's where he starts to feel like, no, I don't want that. He actually yells that when he's hanging on for dear life and his father tells him, you know, I'm your father and join me, and then Luke is refusing it. That is the, this, it's in the hero's journey, it's the confrontation with the father, um, and he refuses that. And he jumps into basically the rest of his life. When he falls down that big shaft, he is actually letting go of all these fears to be determined by, I'm going to the, I'm going to the right here, into the woods. There are various paths here, but I like this one. That's so quiet. It's a Saturday afternoon, and uh, the woods are, uh, are empty now. This morning, there were so many people here. They were all heading for um, uh, a place not far from here, where they reenacted the, uh, the Allied, uh, what is it? counterattack on the Nazis, you know, when they, uh, lots and lots of soldiers uh, uh, were parachuting from airplanes, and they do that every year. They have this, this whole thing. I'm, I'm sad that I only discovered it this morning, because it, it, would, have, it would have been a wonderful thing to film and maybe share with, uh, with you, but maybe next year. Anyway, so Luke Skywalker, uh, once he lets go and refuses his life to be determined by what his father tells him, this is your destiny. So basically, it's what I think is good for you that you should do. That Luke becomes this stronger, new, very self-aware, independent Jedi. And, and that is such a, a game changer for, for Luke. And that inspired me because I think subconsciously I felt like for too long in my life, I've been in this attitude of, uh, oh, you know what? As long as things happen to me, as long as they're good, that I'm good. But when suddenly everything changes and shifts and, uh, and, and, and it seems as if life is turning against you or maybe some, somewhere in my subconscious mind, I was also blaming God. Like, why all of a sudden is everything going wrong? Why can't this just be easy? <sighs> is there that I now in hindsight realize that I've, I've started to become more like Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter and you name them because I, I no longer I want to 
just react to things that happen to me. No. I am writing my own story. And uh, I hope that that story is inspired. At least I try to open my mind to, well, not the force, but for me, the kind of the source of, of the strongest force in the universe, which is love. See how I inject a little bit of theology into the Star Wars metaphors? <laughs> but ultimately, God doesn't make decisions for me. Um, God guides me. And the Holy Spirit is, by Jesus, not called, I'm going to send you the Spirit, and he's, he's the director. You have to call him Captain. No, what's the word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit? He's the helper. So he's, he's the helper. He is the, the one who will inspire you. He will blow God's inspiration. It's literally, inspirare. It's to breathe in his inspiration into you. But you still have to breathe it in. You have to open your lungs and you have to um, make decisions guided by the Holy Spirit, ultimately. But God is not going to do this for you. My watch is realizing that I'm actually on a walk. So, yeah, let me just track this. Very good. I was like, several times I felt something on my wrist. And uh, I always have this silent alarm that tells me when I need to start wrapping up and when it's time to continue the um, extra part for the, for the patrons and for the premium uh, version of the walk. But this one was a little bit early because I'm, I'm only halfway through my story. So um, the, the, realizing that it's my story and I can, can write this the way I want it that is maybe the most important realization in my life. Um, and because it matters, if you are the writer of your own story, then it really matters how you write down your own story. How would you... What is your role? Are you the hero? Are you the victim? Where do you come from? Where do you want to go? What's going to be the ideal ending of your book. Well, that, if, if you are writing a novel, most people, not everyone, but most writers will know how the story needs to end. They may not know all the stations in between the, 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 uh, the departure, the, like, uh, what is it, um, platform nine, nine and a quarter, nine three quarters what was it <laughs> somewhere they they may know the beginning they may know that is all going to end at hogwarts but they don't really know exactly where the train is going to stop in between so knowing where how you want to write the ending of your story what are the goals in your life that is going to be a massive in, will have a massive impact on the way that you write your own journey and how you see yourself in that journey for me, it's always been, or not always, but it has been helpful to look at, look at my life from that perspective. And I would even say that this habit of catastrophizing and thinking, oh, this is the beginning of the end, it's basically you write yourself into a corner or you paint yourself into a corner because you don't, you don't realize that all these intermediate decisions that you have to take or temporary setbacks are just that. They're temporary setbacks. And 
what matters is not, or what is important is not that, oh my gosh, I was on a roll and now this happens and this unexpected thing. No, the, what is important is that you realize that that setback could be there for you to overcome because you know that your story isn't done yet. And I would say this is even true in, because you could, you, you might be able to object, well, what if, you know, you, you're being told that you have an incurable disease and you will die, you know? How, how can you say, well, even that process has a beginning and an end. So it's, the beginning is the diagnosis. But then the end is still away, is still in the distance, and you can still decide how you will write that story. Maybe you cannot change the ultimate outcome. Nobody can. We, all, we will all die. But you can definitely say, well, this is how I would like to, to, uh, to leave this earth. And this is what, what I would like to experience in between uh, the, the beginning and the end of my story. And the way that you define that will help you to make it a journey that is worth uh, that is worthwhile, that maybe even impacts others in a positive way. So the way that you write your own story um, depends on how you see the totality of your of your life. And um, for me, faith is always um, is a is a, is a, is a incredible uh you know guiding principle uh because i read scripture and i preach about it and that constantly uh shows me that there's more to this life than just my story my story is a very very small part of a much bigger story that god has started to tell from the beginning of creation and will continue to narrate in a certain way through his son who is the word of god until the end of times and so the little setbacks in my life and the moments where i get frustrated or i think i'm stuck can never be the end of that story because my story is just part of a much bigger story so there's always a next chapter so why would i get stuck in this moment of life when God already knows that, you know, there's, this, there's going to be a next story. There's going to be a next chapter. Just move along. And these moments in the stories that I love so much, where you think that the hero faces an unsurmountable enemy or a big dragon like with Bilbo, or in case of Luke Skywalker, this cruel Jabba the Hutt, or even his own father and then the, the one, the puppeteer who commands vader and everything seems to be lost and now the emperor is even threatening to go after his sister that is the moment that he realizes well wait a minute not all is lost yes my friends out there in space they're being massacred but i make a decision right here and now that i will be like the good i will embrace the good side of my father i will be like the good jedi that i feel is still in him and that changes everything. It's an incredible, powerful moment of agency that I hope that I can emulate at every stage in my life. And so whenever I get stuck or I have a difficult week like this week where I have to navigate 
kind of these these complicated relationships with the family and then um, saying farewell to my father and at the same time having all these contradictory emotions at that moment. I also know that this is one chapter in my life. My story continues. I can write the next chapter. And you know what makes a compelling story? It's a main character that continues to grow and evolve and changes. Even if it's, a, a, if it's not always the right, the right thing that happens or that or someone... Like, there's a lot of criticism on Harry Potter. He wouldn't be a good example to kids because sometimes Harry Potter does stupid things. Well, a little secret, all kids do stupid things. And you have to look at the totality of the story to understand the, the overall arc and how even his mistakes and his lack of trust and his impatience and sometimes his maybe egotism or whatever, his ego, get in the way. All that teaches Harry ultimately what life is about and how important it is to have friends and his new family. This is why a lot of these stories end with a new with the embracing of a new family. Because ultimately, it, it shows you that you are not predetermined by, by your origins. By your, your, your fate is not sealed because your parents wanted you to become this or that person. And for the, for, for the, the big part of your life or the majority of your life, you've been trying to strive to get the approval of your parents or parental figures. All that is oftentimes such a waste of time. What matters is to make your own choices, to believe in... If you think about what you do, if you pray about it, and you make a decision, you have to believe that it is part of that story that you are writing, even if you're wrong, even if you make mistakes. It's part of what defines you and what makes you and what what will help you grow. But if for fear of making the wrong decision... You stay put, you don't budge, you stay on Tatooine. You never leave home to go to the chocolate factory with all its its perils. You will never get into that glass elevator and see the world from, from the top and see how your road, where it started and how it ultimately all, uh, you know, ended in the place where you are right now. If you, if you don't make decisions out of fear, you may already made the wrong decision. <laughs> so don't be afraid to embrace what happens to you. And never opt. I'm talking to myself right now, but never choose the position of the helpless victim who is just unlucky and uh, who God apparently hates because otherwise he would have protected me against this or that. No. Own what happens to you, even if that sometimes is really hard, and consider that as an, a fascinating chapter in the story. And if every, if if you read a story in every chapter, all is well, and the the hero is happy, and there are no dragons, and there are no evil Sith lords, <laughs> or dangerous pitfalls in the chocolate factory. That would be the most boring book ever. So rejoice even when stuff happens to you that you don't like. But 
see it as a part. It's a test. It is a, it's a momentary setback. And, um, but you are in control of your life. You can make different choices. You're not a victim. God doesn't want you to be a victim. This is why Jesus, whenever he sees someone who seems to be paralyzed in life, sometimes literally a paralyzed man, he cannot stop himself from giving that man back his health. So he can stand up, stand up, says Jesus, take up your bed and go. And that's what he does because Jesus wants us to make our own decisions, to follow the inspiration of his love, but to always look ahead because he has a future for us, even though we may not always see where all this will lead, but he wants us to move ahead anyway because he is with us. He, he, he walks ahead of us. And if we follow his footsteps, instead of thinking, well, I'm doomed, like the C-3PO in us that always said, well, we're doomed. We're going to be sent to the spice mines of Castle. And no, be a bit more like R2-D2. Just do your own thing. <laughs> Even if the, the, the world reacts as, what makes you think that there are settlements over there? You stupid old you know, rusty garbage can or whatever C-3PO has stored as insults in his brain. Do it anyway. Because, uh, because I think that we are all meant to be a bit more like R2-D2 and a bit less like the catastrophizing C-3PO. Even though I, I do really love C-3PO, but it's probably because he, he is a bit like me at some times in my life. But I'm starting to like R2-D2 and all these other kind of like very, very um, <laughs> entitled, somewhat obnoxious little droids um, like Chopper in, in, in Rebels and in Ahsoka. I like these little droids because nobody tells them what to do. They will decide that for themselves. All right. <laughs> I'm going to wrap things up now. I think you get the gist of what I was trying to communicate. As always, I welcome your feedback. And if you are one of my patrons um, at, the, at the, the second tier, we've got various tiers, but the second tier also gets a premium version of the walk. I'll continue my walk a little bit more. I'll go the extra mile for you and I'll share some more, so, some more uh, of the events and, and, and experiences that I had this, this past week. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on this walk and uh, see you next week. Take care and God bless.